Hello and welcome back. Um, we're continuing our careers discussion, uh, especially with the overview of COVID-19 and a return to, I don't know whether it'll be a return to anything to be quite honest, but at least the, the hoped for return to some type of a different world of work and career. And this is with reference to week two, learning theory-based postmodern socioeconomic and decision-making theories, of course, with regards to career. So welcome back. And what one of the things that I have constantly discussed is the reality check. 30% of your potential clients are likely to be from minority groups. And so what we need to consider is which theory best provides an explanation of their career making processes. And as you know, there are always many theories. What is really important is that not only do we understand the theories, but we understand the theories in light of how they may work best for our clients. And each client is unique and individual. Each client has different needs, different um, beliefs and values. And this is where our role is really important. And so a lot of people think of career um, counseling and career coaching and career development and um, career advice is not necessarily being aligned with real life however I posit that what is the one thing that you do for the majority of your life or wish to do and what is our identity most bound up in and for the majority of us and there is lots of research to back me up in this statement we tend to identify with what we do and what we do is our career. It may not necessarily be a job per se, but our career can fit many things across the lifespan. And so that is where we have to find what that fit is. And today the discussion is going to be about some of the theories that you know. So we'll start of course with Crumboldt's social learning theory, and then we'll move forward into some other socio-inapplicable socioeconomic and postmodern theories and then we'll try and have a go at looking at some interesting other pieces of the puzzle especially with relation to the COVID-19 pandemic. So for those of you who know me and have listened to my previous podcasts know that I very much believe in social learning and Crumboldt's social learning theory has some affiliation with Bandura and also with Vygotsky's social cognitive theory. So when Crumboltz is talking about career, he is actually looking in this similar kind of framework around genetic endowment and special abilities, what we have as part of our makeup, our genetic makeup, our physiological makeup, that's inherited and is restricted. Um, although, as we know, we can change some of these things. Um, generally speaking, genetically, we can't 
change too much. We can change our hair color with dye, but and we can change our shape with exercise and diet or eating too much can go the other way. But genetically speaking, we are inherit things and that includes intellect and that's going to be a very important part of aligning a specific career choice with the capacity of your client in more than just the genetic endowment and special abilities. So when we're talking about special populations, this will even come into play because if we're thinking, say, with autism and autism-related disorders, there are often special abilities that some of these populations have that we need to capitalize on and build on their strengths. Rather than just looking at the disability, we want to look at the human and what the capacity of the human is in that specific space and where that may be helpful or hindering to them. Again, uh, environmental conditions and events, and this is really, really key for the availability of job and training opportunities. And as we come out of COVID-19 and we're looking at a world which is markedly different than it was in even January of 2020, and we are in May 2020, in these four months, we have seen a world that nobody ever expected to see. And... Over the next few months to the next few years, we are going to be considering new jobs and the availability of jobs, knowing that there's 2.7 billion people worldwide who are being impacted by COVID-19. And in Malaysia, we're looking at a percentage of 4% officially, but up to 20% is being forecast. And in Australia, we have very high statistics. Um, and in America, we are currently looking at over 30 million people applying for unemployment benefits, which is the worst rate since the Great Depression in 1929 and through the 1930s of the Depression. So when we're thinking about environmental conditions and events, we're not only looking at the availability of jobs, we're also looking at social policies and procedures for selecting appropriate candidates for jobs, for selecting trainees for jobs, and for perhaps building an infrastructure to educate and train particular people for jobs. So with COVID-19, we have a very difficult, uncertain future. We have no idea what's coming. We have no idea what's even available and possible. What we do know is that the special and diverse groups that I keep talking about, such as um, people with disabilities, such as refugees, migrants, such as indigenous people, such as women, women of all ages, of all ethnicities, of all capacities, um, maybe returning to work, maybe just graduating from school. Um, we're looking at veterans um, and we're looking at people now recently displaced by jobs and so the learning experiences that we're looking at um, that Krumboltz's theory sort of alludes to is those individual acts that we can have instrumental learning experiences from and we pr and produce certain consequences so for example there is a young man, which I have mentioned before because I know of his specific circumstance, 
who was in Johorbaru and lost his job to COVID-19. And his environment, and he is close to the water, and what he did was set up a business of bringing fresh seafood to his family, and that has grown into a delivery service and a selling service of fresh seafood. So that's um, produced certain consequences for him in that he's been able to put put food on the table and provide for his family. Not everyone is so lucky, and not everyone has those environmental circumstances to help produce a positive consequence. There are other consequences of um, our learning environment and our environment that really do inhibit such possibilities. And then we have our associative learning experiences. And again, similar to Vygotsky and Bandura, and even to some extent, some of Ericsson's social learning, um, and the individual learns by reacting to external stimuli and by observing real models or even proposed models that are not yet real, so fictitious, and by putting the two things together in time or location, which is what the first gentleman I spoke about is, has done, and what I am actually doing in transposing what would be a face-to-face course into an online course, which is now being derived into a podcast and has gone through all kinds of evocations of (laughs) videos, blah, blah, blah. So then um, the task approach skills is that those skills that are needed to apply to each new task or problem. So for example, let's just take this online learning space. So there are problems with the online learning space and it depends on where you are. First of all, do you have access to online? Do you have limited capacity? Is that capacity drained at a time when everybody's online, such as right now when we're all at home and socially distant and using the internet as our means of connection? So how do we apply our knowledge of situations and affect the outcome of each problem? And that is modified by results. So, for example, when I first started doing online, I was doing three-hour videos, which my students and clients found very difficult to upload and watch and things were cut off and um, half the conversation was missing, which meant that I then changed my tactics and made shorter videos and then I changed my tactics again and have ended up going into podcasts because it uses less um, bandwidth, it uses less data and it's much easier to connect to and uh, feedback has been that they, my students actually prefer the podcast and I much prefer it too because um, my skills are talking but I do not like being on video. <laughs> So basically what his social learning theory posits is that there's a continuous interaction with learning experiences and that produces three types of consequences. The ones that we observe, so self-observational generalizations. So this is what's happened. This is how I'm going to react and problem solve. The task approach skills. So that's like this is the task that needs to be done. I need to go online. What are the skills that I need for that? And then the actions. So that's actually actioning the outcome of what you've just observed and approached. So 
when we are now looking at career counselling, we should proceed with four major thoughts in mind. And this is according to Krumboltz's theory. But clients should prepare to expand their knowledge and skills instead of relying on their status when they enter the counselling process. So basically what, in, in some ways, some people might say that as readiness to change or motivation to change, and we've studied that with other theorists. And I think that people sort of too often place career counselling into this little own box where it's, oh, it's just career counselling or we're just talking about getting jobs, where in fact, in order to be a career counsellor, you actually have to be very familiar with all the theories out there. And in fact, my training has encompassed um, so many different forms of training. But I find that career counselling is one of the most important jobs that one can do in counselling because we need to align our work, which is where we spend the most of our time with our values and our goals and our personality and just find the right fit. So um, career counsellors are required to help a client map out where they are currently and then look at collaboratively outlining a plan for change and growth. And by planning to change, that client then expands what opportunities are available to them. So right now, given the desperate scenario that millions and millions of people around the globe are facing, what we need to look at is what the client already brings, what this current status is, what can we use to move forward, and what will help them benefit to grasp a new opportunity. And... The number, the second point in this is is just even incrementally more important right now, and that's the client needs to be prepared for an occupational landscape that's ever changing. We actually have no idea where this is going. Um, I know that I can continue to teach online for time immemorial, and I can actually say that my psychological skills in the field of anxiety and depression and trauma are going to be even more in need as time goes on. And that's just a, not just a trend of this COVID-19. This has been a trend for nearly two decades in the making and um, there's a lot of reasons that I could go into which I won't have time for in this podcast. But it's an ever-changing landscape of career and the growth and change even just in the last five years has been phenomenal and I've talked about that exponential acceleration of change. And while we do need to diagnose things, like we do need to be aware, um, as mentioned earlier in the previous um, slide, of genetic endowment and special abilities, we and we need to diagnose conditions and be aware of them. We need to understand that the client's current career development problem is a step in the career counseling process. So we have to place and situate them, but we that's not sufficient for change. What we need to do, especially in this world, but always, it's been always a part of career counseling, it just seems to be magnified in COVID 19, is we need to have clients to feel empowered to change with these 
like to cope with these really stressful changes for many people. Not everybody's like myself in that I actually embrace change and really like change and and seek and thrive on change. Um, I can honestly say that there is not many people who would do what I do and travel the world as a, a sole female and make my way. But I'm empowered already by a lot of things that have helped me to be brought up in a protective way. So there's so many things involved in just understanding where a client is and so how can we get them to from point A, their current status, to point B or C or D or E and whichever fits with their value system and their goals, etc. And we'll talk more about that later. And I think really importantly is that right now that empowerment and that coping facility is that we we need to as career counselors focus more broadly on helping our clients just tackle all the job related problems that are confronting them and when we are speaking of um, specific populations and special populations we need to understand their values and help the client understand their values so that we can find things that in as much is as possible, which we don't know right now, how we can help them take control of some parts of their lives and be able to deal with the problems in the workplace. And that includes how to actually get a job now, because maybe you've lost that job that you thought that you would have forever. And maybe you can't advance in the workplace anymore. You maybe have to start from scratch. And then you may be over 50 and heading towards retirement. So how do we plan for that? Okay. And so from a social cognitive perspective, and this is going back to our wonderful Vygotskys and uh, Vygotsky and Bandura and all the other social cognitives, social cognitivists, um, it's the interaction between people in their environments that's highly dynamic. And right now it is the most dynamic time in history that we are aware of. Um, so the result is that at simultaneously an individual is influenced by and influences the environment. I'm going to give you a little snapshot of how this works. So today in our little Facebook social media world, I am actually not on Facebook and for that I'm very thankful at this time. I've had a number of conversations with my friends who are on Facebook and they've actually decided to limit their um, activity because of the negativity on Facebook. And if we are going to get through this together, which we all need to do, we need to help each other through, being negative is not going to help. And so if you are influenced by that negativity that's on your social media feeds and in the news, do as I've been saying in my blogs, limit your social media, limit that time on screen. And because you can influence your environment, if you are pessimistic and you are depressed and you are anxious and you just keep hearing all this same negativity, that is not going to help your anxiety, your depression and your stress. So you are influenced by it and you can influence it by changing your environment. And career-related behaviors are influenced by you. So it's 
you are influenced, your career behavior is influenced by your behavior. So if you switch off that Facebook and you start to do some positive things and start instead of being engrossed with social media, you actually start to learn things and upskill, that's a wonderful behavior. Your self-efficacy beliefs. If you don't believe that you have the coping capacity or powers to um, survive and thrive in this environment, then that is related to your self-efficacy belief. And so you must also have a belief that you can do this. And if you are surrounded by negativity and your environment sort of facilitates and endorses that negativity, your outcome expectations are going to be very, very, very negative. So then your goals are going to be negative. So all those four things, in addition to a fifth factor, which is that genetically determined characteristics, so what you are actually capable of, um, have great influence on what your career-related behavior is going to be in the future. So the direct influence on your interest is your belief in your capacity to be able to do this and get through this and your expectation that maybe something better is coming the other side. I can guarantee I did not think that when I started this position that I would be going online and living at home for day 70 now um, in self-isolation and quarantine. But I also believe that this has been one of the greatest leaps forward in my learning of uh, technology and what is actually possible. And I have great hope, but I also have a really, really deep understanding of the tragedy and trauma that will face many of us. So, um, but to go back to our interest development, people who are believing positively in their capacity to do and cope and be expect better things to do and cope and be. And you become interested in things that you believe can perform well to produce valued outcomes. So one of my students mentioned in um, a poll that I gave them that, you know, now they realize that perhaps the traditional thoughts of what they were going to do have changed and molded. So now they are looking at online and uh, e-learning and how that might help them in the future. So that's a positive self-efficacy and positive outcome belief. And also, this is a hard one to talk about. So I am a, a white female, single white female, well-educated. I have five degrees. I continue to learn. I'm a lifelong learner. So I'm a female, so that is already <laughs> one of the <laughs> worst possible things you could have in today's world of male patriarchy. But I am white, so I have privilege. I am very healthy. I have very few disabilities that I'm aware of. Um, people may debate that. And my environmental variables is that I've grown up in a very um, protected uh, you know, well-endowed upbringing. I'm not saying I was rich or anything, but I was definitely um, given a lot of self-efficacy and self-confidence. And that influenced my self-efficacy beliefs that I could do and be as I wished. 
and expectations of success. So I, if I set myself a goal, I'm going to do that. And that's ultimately related and linked to my self-efficacy and my belief that I can achieve a goal and perform to achieve a goal. Not everyone is so well born or has all those protective factors. So those things, gender, race, physical health, disability, environmental variables, in addition to the self-efficacy that we've already discussed, the expectation of outcomes and the goals and performance that we've already discussed, they also impact us. And actual career choice and implementation of career are really influenced by direct and indirect variables other than self-efficacy and expectations and goals. So if you are discriminated against and you have economic variables that prohibit you from accessing education, and I was the first person in my extended family to go to university. I'm talking aunts, uncles, cousins, uh, nieces and nephews, because uh, I was born young. Uh, I'm the youngest of the family. But I was the very first person to get a university degree. And I am the very first person in my entire family. <laughs> That's extended, extended, like people I don't know to have a, a master's and a PhD um, and to be a professor at university. That this was something that was possibly not even considered as possible by my mother, who was very intelligent, and um, genetically that's where we get most of our intellect, but on the maternal side. But she did not have the opportunity, and she was a woman who was uh, expected to be a mother and, and um, to bear children and be married. So... Direct influences on career choice include discrimination, and that's against women, um, that's against race, that's against ethnicity, religion, age, um, weight. There's so many discrimination factors, economic variables. I did actually um, come from a not a, a wealthy family, but a, a, for our area, I, I grew up in a small poverty-based area, actually. Um, in the country on a farm and those economical variables I was able to override through using my intellect and getting scholarship and access to universities and my parents actually saved a lot of money and put it into um, helping me throughout my high schooling and then I was on my own for my universities. So indirect influences include chance happening so that's also being in a position not just surviving and putting food on the table, which takes away chance. You are not going to be able to participate in a chance opportunity to travel around the world and take up a job if you are struggling to put food on the table. So performance in educational activities, occupations, it's a result of interactions among so many different factors in our lives. And people with the highest levels of ability don't necessarily do well unless they have self-efficacy beliefs and can perform at the highest level. So just because you have intellect, just because you're really good at this does not mean that you are going to succeed. 
And this is where career counsellors need to help people cope and help people feel empowered. So your self-efficacy beliefs also don't remain static. They change continuously as you interact with your environment. So as COVID-19 is happening, we are experiencing very different um, challenges and very different um, opportunities. And so going back to like that very first piece of talking about um, the opportunities that are out there and planning for change and growth, that has a very big impact on where we end up. And if we have a lack of job security, if we have limited support from management, and if our work-related demands are too much, that can impact our health. Well, if you're not healthy, how can you work? And there are about 37%, just for example, in academia, 37% of academics have common mental health problems. And that's a very high level compared with some other occupational groups. Lawyers also have very high levels of mental health issues. Doctors and who is out there fighting on the front lines and saving our lives right now during COVID-19? It's mental health, sorry, health workers, doctors and nurses, the cleaners, the janitors, they're putting their life on their line. And so depression symptoms, emotional stress-related problems, high levels of stress will all impact our performance and our ability to achieve a goal. So if we think we don't have job security, then we may not have the passion or the capacity to follow through. And so when we're looking about a career information processing model of career choice, so now we're moving on to the CIP, we are incorporating all of those factors I've just mentioned and as career counsellors, we are bringing the knowledge about the client self, so bringing all of these things to the fore, bringing occupational knowledge, so what are the possible options for this person in our office, this client who brings A, B, C, D, but has E, F, G going against them, and X, Y, Z going for them, then we have to apply a decision-making style and then we have to collaboratively decide on what the goal is. So a career information processing choice, it begins with communication, <laughs> the big C, <laughs> not cognitive this time, it's actually communication. And so that could be a signal either from the world, like COVID-19, that's out external, that a problem exists, or it could be an inside, an internal um, problem exists. That um, So, for example, one of my students who has started the course has decided that the work that they were doing was not really helpful to their mental health, and so they quit their job even during COVID-19. So it wasn't a it wasn't forced on them, they chose. But that's a signal from the inside. So in response to this signal, individuals try to determine the problem. Like what are the aspects, the A? So we've got C-A-S-V-E. So now we're on the A, the aspects of the problem. And the aspects of the problem could be anything. It could be um, your capacity. 
like uh, financially you can't afford to take time off because you have family so you just take whatever job you can get um, or and then you move on to the synthesis stage which is where they we generate potential solutions to the issue so the problem is I've lost my job or I no longer like my job or I don't want to do this job or I can't get a job um, aspects are what I bring what my skills are, what I'm willing to do, uh, what my environment is, what, you know, whether I'm able to travel, whether I have family, whether I have disability, what. And then I'm going to generate some solutions and try to identify realistic options. And then we look at how does that fit with our value system? Now, this is a luxury that we may not be able to afford in this post-COVID-19 world because maybe we can only just find a job. And so that's the realistic option. But what we want to try and do to the best of our capacity as career counsellors is to identify values in our client and help them find a job that's actually going to work in some way with their values. And then we execute that plan. We act on it and we generate alternatives and we develop a plan. So that's the CASBE, CASBA, Career Information Model of Choice. And so when we're talking about knowledge um, of a problem and synthesis and aspects of the problem and executing it, there's two types of knowledge and that's the self-knowledge that you bring, which is really integral, uh, self-knowledge of both the counsellor and the client and the knowledge of the career options. Well, right now, it's a bit difficult. We really don't know. Um, we're still in the midst of the crisis. So maybe a year from now, we'll have a better idea. But what we do know right now is that restaurants and airlines and many of the cruise lines, those are no longer options for many people. Um, hopefully, they will start up again. But we already know that Virgin Airlines in Australia is filing for bankruptcy and you can't even get a refund from them. So that is not a good sign. And so we have to, as career counsellors, draw the knowledge together and develop you know, your information processing skills, um, use your self-knowledge, your decision-making style, and then use the acronym CASVET, which I've just done. Communication, analysis, synthesis, valuing, and execution. So there's two types of style cycle to this. And one is the practitioner, who is the counselor, and then the client version. And for simplicity's sake, really the client needs to know they need to make a choice. Then they move into understanding themselves, their options, their decision-making and their thoughts. So it's aligning themselves and expanding and narrowing options. So often um, I find this a really intriguing process when you go through um, career counselling with somebody and you start to sort of get them to understand themselves and think about things and um, consider options new possibilities sprung up and spring up and other ones kind of fade and this is just a really important piece is just allowing that time to explore you know what 
I know I've been doing this forever, but now this is a new world and in my ideal world, I think if I could get these skills, I could do this and this would be much more aligned with my values and my um, thoughts and my goals and I would perform better. That's when we start to move into the prioritizing of options and then, okay, so we've prioritized. We've now, out of you know, 10 options, we've narrowed it down to five, which has been included two that I would never have considered before in my life. And I'm going to prioritize those. And then I'm going to implement a plan towards prioritizing the first one. So let's say the first one is I, want, I was formerly working, I'm a refugee. And I'm a female and I was working in the bar industry. And while that was good, I could, my husband could look after the children when he got home. So the night work was good. I really didn't enjoy the work. So now what can I do with my limited capacity, um, given that I have children and a husband, I'm a refugee, and maybe I don't have legal status, so I'm working for cash. Well, maybe I can look at a micro business from home. So maybe I need to look into supplying. Um, you know, all those different things. So from the practitioner side, we're looking at the executive processing domain. When we are starting to um, look at our clients, knowing that knowing themselves, knowing that they need to make a choice that brings in their metacognition, so their self-talk, their self-awareness, their monitoring and control. And again, you start to get to know them through their executive processing skills. And then understanding themselves and their decision-making skills domain is just generic information processing skills. Do they have capacity to actually make decisions? Are they special needs? And are some of these things going to have to be made for them? Um, when you're looking at options, it's your knowledge domains. How much does this woman who's the bartender know about what bars need? Is it the alcohol, which is readily available, or is it actually some of the little options like the cocktail onions, the lemon, you know, those little pieces? Is it like finger foods to go with it? You know, so it's specific knowledge of options and the schema. And we love this word schema. It's in heuristic. So it's knowledge domains and self-knowledge goes into that. So your values, your interests, your skills, and what you would prefer to do. So we've identified, you know what, I did bar work because I could and I had to. It's not what I prefer to do. And then you go back and right at the end of the cycle is the client validates themselves because after they've implemented their first choice and gone through the cycle, they know they've made a good choice. Because if you've done this and been with them along the way, you have helped their metacognitions, and these are the cognitive functions that are essential to monitoring and regulating this decision-making process. And we can go back and forth. And that's self-efficacy, that's um, environment, that's options available. So it's acquiring knowledge, storing knowledge, retrieving that knowledge when you need to, processing that information, which is relevant to the problem that you have. And let's just say, let's go back to our refugee woman who actually has a really supportive husband and only two children and can actually do this. The information that's worthwhile to her is how do I now implement this plan? 
But if it was somebody else who just needed a job and needed cash and money because there was no food on the table and maybe it's a single mom, that's a whole different matter. So primary metacognitions are the things that we've talked about in that first um, practitioner version, version, which is the metacognitions and executive processing, which is self-talk, self-awareness, and monitoring and control. And that's where our prefrontal cortex, our little PFC, and our median cortex are all helping us in our decision-making process. And if we don't have, if we have a disability or a special need, we may not be able to make those decisions clearly. And so there may be a lot of guidance in that. So our self-talk could be private talk. That's another way we use it. It's just our internal dialogue. And it's what we say to ourselves, but we dare not say it out loud often. (laughs) Sometimes we do. Uh, And then we have self-awareness, which is different. So it's just um, being aware that as I'm doing this recording, I'm at 40 minutes and I want to be done this first half in 45 minutes, max 50 minutes. And so it keeps me on task to keep moving through. And that's the monitoring and control pieces. Um, where do I need to be at this time? And have I done enough to explain this concept? Do I need to backtrack? And I need to move on. When is the next time to move on, right? So one of the greatest concerns that we have in this CIP model is a client who's not a good decision maker. And that's where I was talking about one of the special populations. So then we've got this tool, which is really helpful, and it's the career thoughts inventory. And it's helpful because it diagnoses various aspects of the CASPA model and helps us with our decision-making processes. And the CTI itself has items that relate to each component of our career information cycle. So it it involves, you know, where we are in terms of our communication skills, our understanding ourselves, our um, metacognitions, our decision-making, and our knowledge and prioritization skills. And... The CTI has items related to executive processes, CASPA cycle, self-knowledge, and occupational knowledge. So how can you choose that you want to do this if you don't know, if you want to do A, that's great. But did you know that B, C, D, E are also kind of related to that and you might actually be better at D than you are at A? So the CTI instrument hopefully helps this career processing, this processing model of career choice, the career information processing model, just useful and helps in other ways too because it helps us do research, which helps inform the model. So it's just a brief overview of client service and delivery models as a differentiated service delivery model and a two-dimensional readiness model. There's so many different ways of looking at models and it's how we do it in, just depending on our clients. And it's kind of related to a choice of um, theories. So solution-focused 
versus cognitive, behavioural, versus existential. So it's a differentiated service delivery model. Individual enters as a brief screening and that leads to a comprehensive screening and are we doing a DARF-assisted services or are we doing an individual case-managed service? So this client who's individually case-managed leads a lot more assistance than the person on the other scale, which is a self-help service. So they're quite independent. And then you have a two-dimensional readiness model, which kind of feeds into what you're doing with the differentiated service delivery model. And that is, you know, if they're, they have low readiness, and a high degree of support needed in their capacity and capability. Um, they have low levels of being able to understand complexities. Um, you know, you're going to have different needs. So that's how we determine the client service model. And the career information processing model incorporates all these previous elements. And finally, when we come to assessing readiness, we examine four factors. How is a client's level of self-knowledge? Are they willing to use that knowledge to help them make decisions? Number one. Number two, are they willing to explore different options in the world of work? Or are they pretty stuck and just need a job here and now and we need to just find them help? What is their motivation to learn about what's out there and engage in that decision-making process? And again, if we have a, a single woman who is returning to work because of need, there may just be a motivation to get a job and learning about all these other things and being able to make decisions is too much. So just keep in mind that all clients come in at different scales on one, two, three, and four. And four is... That self-awareness and that's of self-talk, which is how negative thoughts influence problem solving and the willingness to seek assistance. And that's looking at the barriers and their internal barriers, but those internal barriers that are negative are often um, influenced, as we've talked directly, about the environment in which we are in. And so readiness to engage in career counselling and counselling in general because I think career counselling is the whole gamut. Um, readiness can be assessed using the career thought inventory, okay? And the constructs in the career thoughts in inventory <laughs> include decision-making confusion and that's common and right now I think it would be really common um it uh there's, there's so many uncertainties and so many unknowns so it basically DMC as we of course abbreviate it um indicates issues with the decision making process as a result of self-efficacy so disabling emotions and or a lack of understanding about the process itself. So people just don't even understand what career counselling is. And even my students didn't like career counselling because I think they didn't really understand what it's about. And I'm like, wait a minute, people. This is one of the most important things that you can do for a client is help them align 
their values, their thoughts, their skills and their goals with a job that fits that and uh, happiness being in work is a really high indicator of happiness within. And then there's the commitment anxiety. It's a, it's a scale that reflects an inability to make a commitment to a specific career choice. And I 100% relate to that. I often say the more education you get, the more options open to you and the more difficult it is to commit to a specific career choice. And But then that can be accompanied by a generalized anxiety about the outcome. So, oh, I've made the wrong choice and I'm going to make the wrong choice. And so therefore, that perpetuates your indecision. So you won't make a decision because you're scared of making the wrong choice. Instead of, as a career counselor, empowering them to cope with, you know what, maybe A is not going to work out, but at least you've prioritized that as what you want to do. Let's try to go there and let's see that we have B, C, D and E as options. It's not like you're all your eggs in one basket. Let's try it though. And just empowering them and building coping mechanisms in that commitment anxiety scale. And then of course, there's the external conflict, which is again that external influences and that's the EC scale in the CTI which reflects the inability to balance the importance of your own self-perceptions with the importance of including input from your significant others in your circle. And often if you've had people making decisions for you and those decisions have been okay, you may not want to take responsibility for a decision-making yourself. So to sum up, what we've sort of talked about is career counselling in a nutshell with Crumbolt's theory and the career thoughts inventory is sort of a basis for career counselling. But when we're looking at a seven-step model for career counselling, it looks at conducting the initial interview, which is where you do a history it's kind of just like any intake um, but your specific goal is can we align to a new career you conduct a preliminary assessment and that could be a, a brief screening it could be a self-help screening or it could be a very intense case management screening collaboratively then you work with the client to define the problem about what the career or job problem is and then you analyze the causes so what can we do about this can something be done about this or do we have to have to actually factor that into our decision making formulate goals and develop an individual learning plan because we are learning about a career then we execute that we implement the individual learning plan in the casper model and then we evaluate goal attainment and if I was to ask you, if you look at any counselling session, career counselling fits right into that. And this seems like a very good place to end part one of our Career Counselling Week 2 podcast. See you soon.